you call that radio? You call that radio? Afternoon, Tripadors. This is You Call That Radio, the audio podcast. Season 3, episode 2. And we're going to have a great conversation with the legend that is Dominic Diamond. Who most of you remember from Games Master, if you're of a certain age, which was a, an incredible TV show in the 90s that I grew up. I was a wee guy back then, but I loved the show. And since then, he's wrote books, he's a journalist for Places Like the Guardian and stuff like that as well. And uh, yeah, no, it was it was great to finally speak to him live from Canada. So it was it was recorded a, a, a few months ago, I think. But it was the summer. I think it was the start of the summer. But this is me just getting a chance to release it just now. So I'm just trying to, uh, once a week, just upload either um, some brand new content or maybe a classic interview that you might not have heard because I know that you prefer audio podcasts. If you don't know, there is most of the stuff that You Call That Radio does now is on the website, youcallthat.com or the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash youcallthatradio. Make sure you subscribe and hit the notification bell. We're uploading live music sessions there all the time, live stream interactive conversations, amazing interviews. And actually, just the other day, I did a... Yesterday, I did a, a piece about the Ian Brown gig because he's not playing with any band and he's not doing Stone Roses songs and caused a lot of controversy. But I actually went to the gig to see for myself because people are reviewing gigs without even going at them. So I just went to the gig to see for myself. I ended up meeting Ian Brown backstage as well. And if you want to see that, what I thought about that, it's on the, the YouTube channel. And already it's got more hits than I think any other video we've ever done in a day. And all it is is me talking with no prep, no skill, no effort, just talking about what I thought about it. And then I put, I looped some mobile phone footage that I took so that I wouldn't get copyright stricken for it. Uh, so check that out. It seems to be gaining traction for whatever reason. I've no idea. Do you know the amount of work I put into all my podcasts and all my music videos and all my live sessions and all my interviews? And for some reason, that is doing well. But yeah, we're going to have an interview with Dominic Diamond. But before we do that, before we do that, I just thought, you know, I like to add a bit of... Because this is an older interview, you know, it was a couple months ago. So I want to give you some current content and context to what's going on in the world right now. And what's going on right now is Liz Truss, our new, <laughs> her new Prime Minister, Liz Truss. Who is she, by the way? I have no recollection of her name being mentioned or even seen her face before, but you know. She is the Prime Minister. And the first thing she's done as Prime Minister is ruined our national mourning by killing the pound. I don't even remember like last week. We were united in grief because the Queen passed away. And now we've, we're all together crying. Every single one of us crying. Uh, but we can't cry about the Queen anymore because Liz Truss has ruined our national mourning by killing the pound. And I think it's particularly 
disrespectful since the Queen is on all of our money. Liz Truss is killing dead people and she's not even been in charge for a month. And she's not just killing any dead person, but the head of state. I know he says, oh, she's not the head of state anymore. I reckon that the Queen is probably still head of state, even in the afterlife. She's kind of had that ghosty vibe about her. I'm not sure if I believe in ghosts, but if anyone can haunt castles, then she can. I think she would like that. I think, um, you know, giving you a wee scare when you least expect it. <laughs> because she had a fantastic sense of humour. Now, back to what I I'm no economy expert, far from it. But I know if you do a budget the week after the Queen dies and it stops the Queen being talked about on talk radio in the Daily Mail, you are having a pure shocker. And it wasn't even a real budget, it was a mini budget. It was a minuscule budget. And it takes away from the shine of the, the new king, Prince Charles, <laughs> who everyone over the age of five is always going to call him Prince Charles. You can't just get your first job at 75 and rebrand yourself like that. Successfully, I mean. I mean, even Prince... The musician prince couldn't get away with it. And he had a, f a far more extensive back catalogue of tunes. Prince the musician changed his name to a squiggly emoji. But no one calls him Prince Squiggly Emoji. When Prince the musician died, nobody was calling him Prince Squiggly Emoji on the Sky News eulogy. So it's hard to rebrand yourself if you're a prince. It's hard to rebrand yourself no matter who you are. If you're 75 years old, he's got to be on the money. He's, he's going to be replaced on the money. On the money. In 2024, if he's still alive, I think. Uh, but... I will only call Prince Charles Prince Charles. I mean, I wouldn't even probably call him Prince Charles if it wasn't for the fact that I had an uncle Charles. And I can't remember Prince Charles' second name. So I'm not going to call him Charles in case people say, oh, wait, you're talking about your uncle. So I'm fine with calling him Prince Charles. But you can't, at 75, start identifying as a king. Everyone else would get locked up for that. My dad had undiagnosed dementia. And he got locked up in a mental institute for a lot less than that. I, I mean, just, just try to imagine like one of his pals. I mean, I don't, I'm assuming he's got pals. Uh, saying, all right, Prince Charlie, you up for a pint? And he said, I am a king now. My name is King. Aye, no bother, Elvis Saucy Chance. No offence, by the way, to anyone with Saucy Chance. My hands are quite skinny, too skinny, actually. I'm not slagging anyone's hands, but I just thought Elvis Saucy Chance. <laughs> Elvis Saucy Chance kind of sounded like Edward Scissorhands. And I don't want to, definitely don't want to add to the media fuel Johnny Depp and Amber Heard debate. That's getting boring. Still seeing memes and reels and tweets over social media about that. 
And there's people on YouTube that have made a tidy living out of talking about that court case and still to this day. But not on this show. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. This show is destined to fail financially forever. Unless one of you guys listening, I, you, that's listening, signs up to our Patreon or our Patreon or our Patron or our Patron. I actually don't know what the right pronunciation of it is, but I say Patreon, but Blind Boy says Patreon, and he has thousands of Patreons, and we've only got about 159 Patreons, and a few YouTube members, and a few Kofi.co.uk people, so, yeah, if you want to support the show, these shows, everything we do, from the events, to the blogs, to the audio podcast, to the live streams, to the music sessions... It's only possible. We have no adverts. We have no sponsors. We have no funding. It's just uh, people like yourself who's listening and saying, I quite like this. I'm going to support this. So uh, if you sign up, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash you call that radio. You can sign up at YouTube by hitting the join button or, yeah, just the join button on YouTube. I think there's a super thanks option if you as well on YouTube if you like a particular video. And then there's Coffee.co so coffee is spelled K O dash F I dot co dot UK forward slash you call that radio. So that's K O dash F I dot co dot UK forward slash you call that radio. If you want to make a one off donation, and if you want to do a wee monthly donation at Patreon, it's patreon.com, sorry, patreon.com forward slash you call that radio. And, you know, from as little as £3 a month, you can help us build this thing that we're building. And we offer lots of discounts and uh, free stuff and bonus content if you do. So thank you for everyone who is doing things like that and helping us build the thing. And if you're skint, just hit the share button or tell a friend about us or go and listen to some previous shows. We've got loads. We've got loads everywhere. All over the internet. Uh, but yeah, sorry, go, sorry, I'm getting distracted, I'm getting distracted. Forget about the new King Prince Charles. What about the new Prime Minister, Liz Truss? I mean, what do you make her? Crashing the pound, being 34 points behind Labour, and potentially killing the Queen in her first week of office. And the worst bit is, she is the best we have. Every time the Tories replace the leader, it just gets worse and worse. So she is the best we have. If you replace us, who is next? What? The dregs of the Tory party, who is next? So we, we, need, we really need to keep her. <laughs> you need to keep her. Or it could get worse. Is the dregs, the dregs. Nobody th- thought, I remember David Cameron, nobody thought it could get worse than a guy who evaded taxes, decided to have a referendum on should we make things shite called Brexit. And he fucked a dead pickhead. And uh, he was pretty bad. And then we get hit with piss that trees of me. <laughs> piss that... <laughs> Piss that's a Theresa May. And then like the the bumbling pathological liar and 
Keen Fridge Hyder, Boris Johnson, and now this. Let's trust. Is I mean, I, do you think she's as stupid as she looks and sounds, or is she deviously, deliberately selling off the country's economy just to make a few of her pals wealthy? The be- the best way to look at it is if you really squint and practice a like a mindful, positive mental attitude. If you had been the the biggest optimist in the world out there, then you could maybe conclude and hope that not only is she the best we've <laughs> the best we've got, but that she's just a she's just a, a dafty. That's what we're hoping for. The country's crossing its fingers and hoping and praying that she's just an idiot. But but that means, like, she is allegedly in charge. Allegedly in charge. How, how many people's in the UK? Hold on, let me, let me Google it. 67.7 million people. 67.7 million people in the UK, according to Google. And since she is Prime Minister, you would assume that she is the smartest we have, the best we've got. Starmer is 34 points ahead and he's profoundly pish. No personality, believes in nothing, backstabbed his way to leader. Yet in a weird way, he seems like he might be better. It's fucked. Actually fucked. Anyway, biggest criticism, Liz Truss, as she has ruined the morning, the national morning, all the bus stop billboards have went back to McDonald's adverts. I'm not seeing the Queen's face at the co-op anymore. We were a country united in grief a mere few days ago. In fact, we sent a roving reporter to Edinburgh Castle and Glasgow City on the, the, the day of the Queen's funeral to see how... Scotland mourned the death of the Queen. So listen to this, and then we'll come back for an amazing interview with the legendary Dominic Diamond. Good morning from Edinburgh, the capital of Scotland here, which is now preparing for possibly one of its biggest events in modern history. Live from Edinburgh Castle on the day Her Majesty's laid to rest. And I say the mood here is somber. That train that you can hear flying past at 10 miles per hour is somber. I think the train's going a little bit slower than normal out of respect. As you can see, the cloud above Edinburgh Castle kind of looks like the Queen with a hat on, but a sombre queen. The mood here is definitely sombre. I mean, over there, they're sombre. And hungry, because nowhere is open. You can't get breakfast. You can't get lunch. But I think that's what the queen would have wanted. And after five o'clock today, I believe that... uh, the people of Edinburgh will be once again be allowed to buy food and drink. 
and supermarkets were opening, capitalism will return, which I think is what the Queen would have wanted. Not before five o'clock, but I don't think she would want people to have breakfast or lunch. I think she'd want it the way it is just now, sombre. The mood is definitely sombre. But after, oh, you can hear a sombre, sombre noise in the background there. A solemn quiet fell on Edinburgh today. The Hawaiian shirt, I see you in the comments, the Hawaiian shirt is not disrespectful. I googled, does the Queen like Hawaii? She has very strong ties to Hawaii. I don't know if the necklace is too much. I think the necklace was too much and I think the conga line is too much but a Hawaiian shirt is a sombre mark of respect. A solemn quiet fell on Edinburgh today. Quite sombre in Edinburgh today. Sombre cheeseburgers, sombre hens. I found the loaded fries to be particularly sombre. There's some dance and techno music plays respectfully in the background. I think Edinburgh's really captured them with the animation. One word, sombre. Yeah, I thought I would just uh, give you a wee tour of uh, Waverley train station in this historic day. This is uh, Marks and Spencer's. I don't know about you, but I think that the, even the, the Percy Pinks seem particularly solemn and sombre today. I don't, I mean, it's just maybe just me, but what else we got? Uh, the, the, the toilets are open. I mean, I don't really agree with the toilets being open on such a historic day. But, you know, this all happened at short notice. So, you know, the people have had, the people, the proud Edinburgh people, they're a proud people, the people of Edinburgh, and today, also a solemn people, and they haven't had much time to react, but I don't think I would have kept the, the toilets open, but, you know, you've got the Costa Coffee looking, looking solemn, Boots, is looking solemn. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, you can feel it. You can feel it in the atmosphere. Sorry, there's a guy pulling me off with a Hawaiian shirt. This Hawaiian shirt is a mark of respect. She had very strong ties to Hawaii. She, she, she loved it. Uh, she actually visited the island more than once in a 70 year reign. Which might not sound like a lot, but She's a very busy woman. I just missed my train by a second there. And then the train after is cancelled. I don't know if it's due to her, her Majesty's funeral or it's maybe because of the crumbling infrastructure. But in a weird way, it's like she's looking down and just making you stop for a moment and think. I said a fantastic sense of humour, so she would have she'd have loved the fact that I missed my train and the next one's cancelled. She enjoyed the pasty. It's a, it's a somber, a somber pasty. Word on the street is that uh, during lockdown, she put on a mask, got on a motorbike, and came to that pasty store right there. And she asked, "Do you have any haggis pasties? Does one have a haggis pasty?" 
And everyone laughed. She had a fantastic sense of humour. We are. We're home. Here we are. Queen Street. We're at Queen Street. We're home. Now the people of Glasgow are a, are a proud people. So, you may be forgiven for thinking that people are just walking about as normal. You know, you can see people just having beers and just chatting and just enjoying themselves. That's how it looks on the surface, but it's because they're a proud people and they're putting a brave face on it. Deep down, everyone in this city will be hurting. So, it might not appear solemn. It definitely is. I mean, look at those pigeons. Pigeons are solemn. They're not even flying. Out of respect for the Queen, the pigeons are just. I don't know if you can see that. But they're just, they're just, having a, they're just sitting down. This is a democracy on you call that radio. Three, two, one. Doosh! Speaking of legends, we can go to Canada right now to speak to one. It's Dominic Diamond. Hi, Mark. How you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Thank you so much for doing this, mate. Second time lucky. We never had you on the show uh, last time that. as well. But, um, sorry about that. I absolutely. I'm sorry for dropping you in it last time. It was just uh, it was one of those crazy days, like today. And I have to say, if, if people <laughs> people are looking going. Jeez, things must be going bad for that dominant diamond. Look at him. He's just he's living in a corridor. Uh, I woke up this morning. <laughs> Unfortunately, where I am, Calgary in Canada, is the building site capital of the world. And uh, I woke up this morning and there's guys digging up the street. And apparently they put a note through the door yesterday to say they were doing that. The kids didn't tell me. So normally I have this lovely wee studio set up in the back. But if I was sitting there, all you'd hear is... <laughs> from the uh, workies. So I've had to move into the corridor just outside my daughter's room. And actually, so this, a little, no, I just put up these pictures about five minutes ago. So it looked a little bit better than just the kind oh, of no, bizarre empty corridor. It looks fantastic. What is the art? What is the art you have there? What can uh, we see? Well, this, actually, this is a great Glasgow artist called Ashley Cook, um, who, uh, when, uh, like back in the day, and I think she still does, sells a lot of stuff, through the Prince Studio, which is my favourite, favourite place. So uh, I, that's that's an Ashley Cook. And uh, over there is a, um, uh, oh, that's a, um, that's a Peter Housen. Yeah, that's one of oh, Peter Housen's war prints Peter that he did. Um, and again, I got that from the, the Prince Studio. Probably one of the places I miss the most about Glasgow. One of the things I miss most about Glasgow, the art in Glasgow is just absolutely fantastic. I was seeing someone... Uh, just about five minutes ago, someone posted on Facebook how they've gone to see uh, the latest is a John Byrne exhibition at the Kelvin Grove, and oh, I miss that stuff so much. What a city! What a city! And it's um, so is it Nova Scotia you went to? I started off in Nova Scotia uh, yeah. in uh, two thousand and uh, nine. Yeah, thirteen years ago now. I started off in Nova Scotia, uh, bought a small farm, and uh, ran out of money in a year. Blew all my savings. It was a great year, though. Fantastic. Best year of my life. Just like I dug up plots, put a whole load of vegetables in a field and built flower meadows. 
and then swam in rivers and went on hikes with my kids. It was brilliant. And then we ran out of money, so I had to uh, go back to doing the only thing I'm remotely qualified to do, which is talking pish into a microphone between songs. So I started off as a, a complete unknown random middle-aged guy on the smallest radio station in Canada in Nova Scotia and then just kind of built my way up and went to uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, then Toronto, and then back to Halifax, Nova Scotia, then back to Toronto and then out here to Calgary. So it's been a, it's been a bit of a journey. What is uh, the, the main differences in, in life between Scotland and Canada? <sighs> Good question. Um, I think that, uh, well, the, the first thing is you can you can say you can talk about going to mass on radio in Canada, and you don't get a whole <laughs> lot of abuse via texts. It's certainly a lot more liberal where that's concerned. Um, nobody cares what religion you are. Uh, it's a lot more chilled. It's a very very chilled, laid back country. It got a little bit rage recently uh, with COVID, and there was there was a big kind of right wing anti vax movement, especially here in Calgary. Calgary and Alberta is probably the most kind of right wing place in Canada. Um, so that got a little bit uh, tetchy, but apart from that, they're the loveliest, kindest uh, people in the world, the Canadians. They're absolutely brilliant, and everyone is just uh, is a lot more relaxed. Um, but, I mean, and, you know, by that same token, it's kind of not as, um, it's not as dynamic a place artistically and culturally as, as Scotland and, uh, and the UK, but, uh, but it's lovely and it's chill. And it's big, Mark, it's massive. It's, I think it's... Um, after, I've heard it's bigger than Fife. I've heard it's bigger than <laughs> It's even bigger than Fife. I think it's got the second largest landmass of any country in the world after, like, Russia. Um, so there's tons of space and there's tons of great countryside and mountains and everything. It's freezing, though. It's absolutely Baltic here. Like, when I used to think it was cold in Scotland, you know, you think, oh, you know, it's minus four, minus five, it's cold. I mean, you get down to minus 32 here in the winter in Calgary, and that is absolutely mental. Basically, your car breaks down and you die. So that's a little bit more <laughs> extreme <laughs> weather-wise out here, you know. I was, and there was me raging because I just got a bit of rain on my way back from with the messages. <laughs> uh, but I, no, it's actually been it's not it's not right, Scotland recently. It's been not can't complain. Yeah, uh, it's been it's been not bad at all. And uh, you, so you're saying that you did the only thing that you're good at, which is obviously being very humble. Uh, is, uh, not only are you a radio DJ, but obviously um, you've just you've just released a book. I know that you're working on an, another book, and Aye. I was just wanting to ask you about the Substack thing before I forget, because I've noticed that uh, it just seems like lots of people are, are starting to do Substack. I know that we had uh, um, Bram; he does he does a great podcast called Strange Excels, and what he started to do is like a newsletter to go along with each of his guests, just basically summing up his thoughts on, on what his guest was saying and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, tell us a little bit about the, the Substack thing. Well, I noticed that it was about six months ago and I noticed that there was a lot of writers that I followed on Twitter that were starting their own their own Substack. And it was just a way of kind of cutting out the middleman and writing directly without, you know, without having to go through a newspaper or a magazine. And um, so it was really, as a result, I started a Guardian column about six months ago, uh, about video games. And it just, I had this idea, and I got really pissed off playing FIFA over the years and, and really angry with, A, the, the toxic online community where, you know, if you lose if you lose a game or if you win a game, it doesn't matter. You get a direct message saying someone's going to rape your mum. And I was just like, I got so sick of all that. And, and also the microtransactions and everything. So 
I wrote a piece about how after playing FIFA for like 20 years uh, without really playing anything else, because I was playing FIFA probably about four or five hours a day because I've got that decent level, or like in terms of the worldwide online leagues. But all my kids were coming up to me going, oh, dad, how come you don't play Zelda Breath of the Wild? How come you don't play this game? I'm like, I'm too busy trying to stay in Division 5 worldwide of FIFA. So I wrote a piece about it, about all the games I'd missed because of this. And the editor said, oh, listen, so why didn't you write a monthly column with you going back to all these games the last 10, 20 years your kids have played that you've missed out on? So I started writing that. And I'll tell you what, it, it really it lit a flame underneath me for writing about games uh, again. So I really loved the Guardian stuff, but it was only once a month. There's not a lot of newspaper uh, space for video games. I don't know why there isn't, but there's only the Guardian. I think the Telegraph do a wee bit. The Sun does a bit. So I wanted to write more. And then I thought, oh, well, let's look into the Substack. And what's great about the Substack is they just started uh, where you could do the audio version as well as the written version. And so that's perfect for me. So it's basically like a, it's like a podcast, but then all of the visual parts of it, you've got in the written version, you know, YouTube videos, screenshots, everything like that. So uh, I really like it. And it's completely, it's completely unfiltered. And it's just my attempt to kind of try and make sense of the gaming world today because it's a, it's a bit mental. And I think there's a lot of people of that Games Master generation who loved the games in the 90s, played them a lot. And then, like me, they, they went on to kind of do proper jobs and everything. And they lost touch a bit with games. And now when they try to go back to playing games, it's mental. And it's all fast and it's all shouty and it's all crazy. So I'm trying to kind of make sense of it all to the, what I call the Games Master generation. And, uh, and I'm loving it, really loving it. <clears throat> that kind of sums me up a wee bit. Apart from the proper job, but obviously, but <laughs> um, I did, you know, I'd, uh, I haven't played a computer game for about 12 years, I think. Um, but, you know, I had, a, I had a football manager addiction. Oh. I've been clean for 12 years. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it got to the point where I had to chuck it because I started wearing a suit to the cup finals and all that. <laughs> It's like, right, it's time to, it's time to maybe get a buy. But uh, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm interested in getting back into it. I mean, I, I, the irony is that I did, I seen your, um, you had a, a, a you, were on, you were on Twitch. So I, I hadn't seen you a bit for a while when I seen you, yeah. just randomly, I think you just appeared on my Twitch stream or, or maybe I was following you on Twitter and I seen you doing that. And um, the irony of that is it's quite, it's quite hard because we obviously stream to Twitch as well, but it seems like Twitch people would rather have have like a live computer game. So the irony is I stopped playing computer games because I thought, you know, I should probably focus on something else. Uh, but, you know, if I'd maybe stuck with it, maybe I would have been one of these Twitch millionaires or YouTube yeah, millionaires you know, that just play the computer. It's Twitch is a weird one, Mark. Cause so I started it really... Um, I started it because there was, a, um, there was a guy who was a big radio boss in Canada and he moved down to uh, San Francisco. And then he got in touch with me because he knew that uh, I... Uh, uh, so, so I came out to Calgary. They, they brought me out to rescue this station, Jack FM, that was like... was Normally it was a top three station and it, the morning show, breakfast show dropped right there to number 11. So they brought me out here to try and bring it back up. And I got it back up to the top three. Got it back up to number two within a year. And then we sat there, number two, number three, number four for a couple of years. And then a new boss took over. And I've got a horrible track record of this in my career, Mark, even going back to XFM in Scotland. If I have a woman boss in radio, it's fantastic. And I get on great. And then the woman boss will, the woman will leave for some reason, right? Um, in XFM, Claire Patton, and he was brilliant. She, uh, she, went, she decided to go off. She had, she had uh, wanted to raise a family. Um, my boss here in Calgary, Gail, was brilliant. She retired. 
See, when I've ever had a male boss take over from a female boss, they've come in there with like big puffing chests, wanting to be the big alpha male, and I have clashed horribly with them. So this new guy took over and basically said, first meeting we had, he was like, oh, listen, you've got to talk less. And, I, you know, I don't know, you know, none of this funny stuff. And I'm like, oh, come on, for fuck's sake. And um, you don't know what this is about. He was an old, a lot of these guys are used to be radio presenters themselves. And then they went into management. They're the worst kind of radio bosses because they got a chip on their shoulder because they know they weren't good enough to do it on air. So uh, at one point in this meeting, he said to me, you'll do what I say because it's not your fucking morning show. It's my fucking morning show. And I'm like, whoa, this, we are not going to get on. So about three weeks later, he fired me. So this, um, but they had to give me a massive payoff because I'd done so well on the ratings. So I had a wee bit of time and that was great. I took another year off and climbed a lot of mountains out here. And basically my wife had just uh, gone back to work having raised the kids. So I'm like, oh, listen, well, I'll take over the kids stuff. So this guy who was this radio boss in Canada reached out to me and said, listen, I hear you've just been pinged from Jack. Um, I'm, I'm getting a whole load of radio guys together to do shows on Twitch. And he had some big sports radio names from America. And he said, why don't you give it a go? And I'm like, yeah, all right, fine. So I started just doing that. So I'd get the kids ready for school, get them off, sit down in front of Twitch and do it for a couple of hours. But the weird thing is, I didn't like streaming video games. What I liked about Twitch was the interactive nature in the chat. So I was treating it like a talk radio show and people would be like, oh, now I want to see you streaming Call of Duty, but I can't talk to people while I'm playing games. And that's what I don't get about Twitch. And I know a lot of people love it. And I know I know people like Lemmy does it in a great style. Um, yeah, I think, Lemmy's an I think Lemmy's an exception to the rule. He, he can do yeah. it in, a, in an entertaining way, but yeah. yeah. But most it, of it's just I mean, shouting. Just, people can like know. what they want. They was doing the harm, but I, I don't. I've got, I've got friends that they seem to do quite well on Twitch, and they're just streaming that they don't even talk. And they seem to be doing okay, but I don't understand it. But no, me neither. Me neither. Maybe I'll, I'll need to get back. But speaking of interactive chat, who have we got in? Who's tuned in? We have got Jigsaw Tiger. Hello, Jigsaw Tiger. Great name. We've got Joe Buchanan in the house. Uh, photography job. by Mundito, who took some amazing photos of a gig we played last week. Shouts to Raymond. Uh, we got. Loved Games Master, but makes me feel old now, says Mark. Tell me about it. Me too, Mark. Me too. <laughs> um, I do miss Beat 106, says Greg. Yes. So for people that don't know, like, so Beat 106, I remember Beat 106 fondly as well. It was, um, it, 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 XFM bought it over. Yeah. yeah. So were you there at the start for Beat 106? No, I, I, joined, I started off, so when I moved back, um, so for about 10 years I was on BBC Radio 5 Live uh, down in the UK. And then when we moved back up to Scotland, my wife and I, I actually started working for Real Radio. <laughs> and um, and it's a, it was a real lesson. In, um, uh, so I'd never, I know this will sound like madness, I'd never listened to Real Radio once before I started working there. I just knew they wanted to get me in to do the Saturday show and the, the Saturday morning show was like kind of a big deal. It was when like Jonathan Ross was on Radio 2 and stuff. So it was quite a kind of nice wee slot. So my agent sorted out and he said, oh, it's the biggest radio station in Scotland. They want you to do Saturdays. I was like, fantastic. And I turned up for the first day and I'm like, what is this shite music? And, uh, you know, Boyzone and stuff like that. And it was a real shock to me. And that's when I realized, oh my God. And this is, again, sounds so naive. You mean the DJs don't pick the music on the radio? So I started just pulling all the tunes out and putting my own stuff in, and they went absolutely mental. You're not supposed to do that. And I'm like, oh, no. So I started playing um, 
I played the songs that they told me to play, but I would put like vomiting sound effects on over Poison <laughs> and things like that. And, um, and it's a shame because um, the uh, 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 JC uh, was he was a brilliant boss, Crawford. He was a great guy and um, a lovely guy. But um, my, the final kind of nail in the coffin uh, uh, for that was <laughs> I, I, it was some remote and uh, uh, Robin, what's his Robin Galloway? and Kat were somewhere in the SECC and I had to do a live thing and um, he said something, I brought up Radio Clyde and, and I had a pop at them and, and Robin Gallows, oh you can't mention you know, one of the rivals on the radio and I said, oh who cares, I said, this, 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 Clyde's passion is just listened to by morons and Galloway stitched me up a little bit. He was like, oh, you're going to be in trouble for saying that. It's like, well, okay, fair enough, but don't say that live on the radio. So um, Jay Crawford pulled me in, and I loved the guy. He was such a nice guy. And he's like, um, listen, Dominic, I, you know, I'm sitting here, and I'm going to have to fire you for this stuff. Tell me why I shouldn't fire you. And I thought, I was like, oh, no, but I really love music radio. And then I basically said, I basically just hung on to my job by the skin of my teeth persuaded Jay and I walked out and phoned up my agent and said right <laughs> tell your radio I quit so it was just that I just wanted to quit rather than be fired so then luckily there was a weekend opening at Beat 106 and uh, and Beat 106 was so cool and what I liked about Beat 106 was that I, I wasn't a massive dance music kind of aficionado or fan so it was brilliant to go in there at a station that was that managed to get a massive mainstream radio audience by playing music that was completely different from any other station there were some fantastic great people there so that I had a lot of fun on the weekends and I, and I got to meet uh, Mercer de Andrade who started off at the same time was doing the news and we had a real connection so when they announced that when they pulled me into a meeting and said listen we're switching formats from Beat 106 to XFM we'd like you to do the morning show and I was like um Okay, that'd be great, but I really want to do it with Marissa De Andrade, and so uh, so me, her, and Scott Shaw got to launch XFM, and that was the start. Of, that was just the quite um the quite a quite phenomenal year and a half uh, of my life. It was amazing. And uh, it, what 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 happened to XFM? Uh, well, <laughs> funnily enough, we had a great female boss, and then she left, and an absolute arsehole of a guy took over who was very commercial. He was uh, English. That's not that that would have made any difference he just didn't get the format he was like a mainstream guy tried to make xfm mainstream and uh went back on some promises that had been made to me about my job so i quit and uh, and then uh six months later the station folded uh so yeah because it, it basically became uh if i remember right like it was kind of it just sort of became another like clyde or a clyde two or something like that yeah they made the music really mainstream and it was a shame mark because i was so proud of what we did to help launch uh, just a whole wave of phenomenal Scottish bands through that station, you know, The View, Biffy Clyro, The Fratellis, you know, uh, it was just um, it was just amazing to be part, just, just to see all these bands come up and be able to play them, Glass Vegas and stuff like that. Um, and it was just such a shame, and it, we could it could have kept going on and on and on and on and on, and we could have we could have launched many many more. Scottish bands, but then that was taken away, and really, that was it for 
kind of new Scottish music. You got, you know, you got the outposts, you know, um, uh, uh, Jim Gellerty, wherever he's been, and, and Vic Galloway is, you know. But there wasn't a lot after that, and I felt really sorry. And it's not just not just in Scotland, to be honest. I mean, it's it's the same in over here in Canada. There's not a lot of new music radio stations. It's so hard for a new band to get on these days through radio. It's nearly impossible. It is nearly impossible. Although I'm going to give a shout out to Phoebe, who's uh, doing a bit of the BBC introducing stuff. She's she's uh, Vixen Sounds, her DJ name. She's been doing really good stuff. Great stuff. But in general, it is impossible to get a spin. You know, as uh, you know, I think the only time that we've we've get played on any BBC radio was guest DJs like uh, Paul Heaton for the Beautiful South when he yeah. stood in for a week. He played us, and the same thing again with Steve Mason for the Beta Band. He was filling in for someone, and he did it. Yeah. Oh no, Tom Robinson a couple of times as well. Shouts to Tom Robinson. Yeah. Um, although I think I maybe got them into trouble because there was a swear word in there, but because of my accent and it was so fast, they didn't notice it. And then, uh, <laughs> so I. But you I, know, um, Paul Paul Heaton. Paul Heaton is the only person I've ever asked for an autograph uh, in my life, and it was at um, was it Red? I think it was. Uh, I was Reading Festival. Uh, in the 90s and I saw him backstage I was completely starstruck I just thought what a phenomenal songwriter and just what a cool guy and so I, I had nothing I went up and um, I had nothing for him to write and apart from I had a packet of Marlboro Lights and I said oh listen Paul I'm sorry to bother you I said I'm a big fan I said do you mind doing an autograph and I handed out the Marlboro Lights and he said no he said I'm not he said if you want me to sign get a proper pack of cigarettes and I'm like you're kidding and I looked around <laughs> and um, somebody had, luckily there was a pal of mine who had B&H so I got B&H and then he signed the packet of B&H but he wouldn't sign the Marlboro Lights and um, so uh, but I've lost that now I don't know where that packet of cigarettes is well I've, I've so, got a, Paul Keaton actually signed a t-shirt for me that I don't that should be somewhere exists somewhere but it was because he was doing this cycle and round he was doing a cycle he was cycle from each venue to venue it was yeah. an up tour just like try to get a small pub tour I think they called it to try and get people back to small pubs and they cycled around and uh, my drummer was one of the bartenders and he'd obviously knew the band because he'd played this so he said oh, I'll give that to Mark and he signed it so uh, he's a good also he's, he's everyone's favourite right now he just stuck a grand behind a couple I of bars yeah. in, in Glasgow so I think there was one in uh, Kinnan Park and Nice and Sleazy Ah, that was for his birthday, wasn't it? Was it aye, about his 60th birthday or something? Yeah, sixty pubs all got a grand behind the bar. Aye. Unfortunately, I was I wasn't in the country, or I'd have been all over that. Yeah. Uh, but I good good on Paul. Uh, I but you, wait, I said Canada is a big place. We we um, we had um, we've had Canadians on the show before, and it was Abdo I don't know if you know Abdominal, the rapper Abdominal, no, and DJ Format, but he was uh, so he, I was like Toronto, but then he was somewhere else, and he says, "Well, I would call it Toronto, but it was four hour drive." Where oh, yeah. he's from is a four-hour drive, but he said, "No, no, I'm still a Toronto rapper." And I was like, "I mean, you don't get away with that in Scotland, as you know." No. I mean, I've got my partner's with Fife, and she's adamant she's not a chukter, and I'm like, "Well, you know, <laughs> anything else, even Paisley, you can get called chukter in Glasgow land." You know what I mean? But you're, you're from a, a broth originally, is that right? Yes, yes, yeah. So, w w did you go from a, a broth to London uh, when the games master, or did you did you live in Glasgow for a bit, or did you just go straight to London? No, I basically went uh, from our broth. I was very lucky uh, that when I was 10, um, my mum put me forward for a scholarship exam for uh, a posh boarding school in Perth, Strathallan School. And so I, I got, you know, these places tend to have that one token scholarship place for a working class kid every year. So uh, so I, I got a scholarship there. So 
that kind of took me to, you know, kind of Perth. And then after that, I went to Bristol University. So, and my mum and dad actually moved down to London from Scotland because my youngest brother and sister got places at stage school in London. So they all moved down for that and ended up in uh, uh, a place called Newport Pagnell, about an hour north of London. So we were kind of down there. Um, and then because I was, I, again, it was so lucky that I, I, I literally got, I got Games Master like three months, four months after leaving university. So I just, uh, at the end of that, I'd gone back to my mum and dad's and uh, I was sharing a room with two brothers and uh, trying to make it as a stand-up comedian on the circuit in London. And then uh, auditioned for Games Master. And, and that, that was what was weird, Mark, was, so when that show started and it became this, uh, it was this instant massive hit. I was sharing a room with two brothers <laughs> while being famous, and it was the weirdest thing in the world. But it was kind of good because it, it you know, it kind of kept me a bit grounded um, throughout that first series. And it wasn't until the second series when I went and got my own place in London, uh, and and that's when I went mad um, and got a wee bit carried away uh, with it all. But I would always say that if anyone's planning on becoming famous stay at home for as long as possible as long as you can share a room with brothers then do that because they they keep your feet on the ground so when you so after games master i mean how how quick did were you instantly aware that games master was a hit it's a little bit easy for me because i was still quite young when that came out but i i watched we watched it religiously it was it was something we looked forward to i'm i'm guessing it was around about the same time as the mega drive yeah. Kind of thing. Is yeah. that about right? So I yeah. was like reading Sega Power. Yeah. And uh, and loving Sonic the Hedgehog and or Alex the Kid or whatever the whatever the fuck was going on. And yeah. Golden Axe, probably. Yeah. That kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I actually watched a wee bit um, at the weekend just to kind of catch up on it. And it, it's it's still great, man. I, I thought I think it was just um a, a unique show. Nobody done it before. No. And no. It, it, the timing was just obviously perfect because yeah. I mean the computer games before that were pretty dire. Uh, I mean, it's supposed to be at the time, but uh, yeah, I mean, I remember the the difference when Sonic the Hedgehog came out. Yeah, so that was just, mental. That was just absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny you, you mentioned that name and you mentioned Sega Power because um, uh, I'm about to start. Uh, they, they brought Sega Power back. Well, it's called Sega Powered now. There's there's a whole wave of of these classic '90s magazines that people are bringing back in print form now and they're doing absolute gangbusters. Uh, so uh, I've got, I've just done an interview with Sega Powered and uh, I'm about to start a column for them. Um, this is what was great about that time was it wasn't just Games Master that was doing great things. The magazines at that time were phenomenal. They had a bunch of people, same age as me, like, you know, 20, 21, great writers, great passionate writers uh, uh, who were just allowed free reign. To, uh, ridiculous creativity those mags were so funny and they were so anarchic and they had such great personalities and so it almost it became uh, quite a wonderfully tribal kind of movement as well you'd pick the sega magazine and that was your that was your gang you know you picked your nintendo magazine that was your gang your amiga magazine and all that stuff was great these wonderful communities that that kind of sprung up and, and that's what's fantastic now is to see these magazines coming back and, and these guys, you know, like me, they're a lot older now have these communities once again. And also the people from the games companies as well, they were really young. And I think that if, if any part of that kind of those three, the games companies, the magazines and, and Games Master, if any of us had been old middle-aged farts, it wouldn't have worked. But we were all ridiculously young 
and uh, and we had boundless energy and we loved games so much that we all just kind of like built off each other and 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 you know dominated the nineties kind of culturally. It was it was quite amazing. Yeah, it's, it's hard to for people that don't know. It's, it's, Sega Power was was actually hilarious. Yeah, I think it was the the crap corner or something. Oh, all, right, all that stuff. Yeah, people yeah. sending in pictures and, and it was actually when. When I used to read that, and obviously with the NME melody making stuff for, for more music stuff, but it just felt like um, you know there was there was just so much humour, you know, people getting destroyed. Then when I tried to, to write reviews myself, I realised that I didn't really have the heart to to destroy people that way, especially new music. You know, I mean, you you, you probably bump into those people, and then you realise that they are real people. Yeah, but it's better. It's, it's it's hard. It's it's a lot hard. It's hard to review something in a positive light as well and make it entertaining. Exactly, so you're always funny when you're writing negative stuff. Try to find new words. It doesn't yeah. sound too pretentious, and it, it does. So it's a, it's a, a difficult. I'll shout out to all the reviewers. It's a very thankless task yeah. that they do as well. So, when did the, the columns start? Because I remember you had. Uh, I've been enjoying your Guardian column that you're doing just now. But you was it was it the Daily Star or the Daily Sport or yeah, was it the Daily Star? Yeah, that was a. Um, I don't even know how. That was one of those again really fortuitous things that I, I fell into. There was a guy. Um, there was a Scottish guy, uh, Irvin Hunter, who was, uh, he was one of the, the, the feature writers there. He did an interview with me and we just absolutely hit it off. Um, uh, he, was a, he was a Rangers fan. So there was a lot of banter between us and he was then in London. And so I started hanging out with him and then someone took a, someone took a, a, a couple of weeks off their column. And so Irvin said to me, he said, listen, you should, you know, talk to the editor and see if you can have a go at that. So I just did the column for a couple of weeks and ended up taking the poor guy's job. And um, and that was it. I was I was nearly 10 years, I think, uh, at the star. And and what was great about that was, you know, I'm under no illusions. It's, you know, it wasn't, you know, it's not the most kind of high, you know, high punching intellectual titan of newspapers. But. I was allowed a complete free reign. Now, politically, my views are very different from your average Daily Star reader. I'm very left-wing, and, and most of them are not. But the editor let me be the token liberal on that, on that newspaper, and that was brilliant. Thank fuck it was before the age of online comments, because I don't think I would have been able to handle that, because just some of the letters I got alone were absolutely horrifically violent. Um, from like severe right wing groups, so I think if I'd had to look at that every day online, I probably would have lasted about a year. But it was this wonderful period where a you still got paid decent money to write for newspapers, and b it was before online comments. I, I hate, I hate online comments for stuff. It's just such a horrible, just nasty, toxic. Uh, thing. I don't mind the ones where you have to be a genuine real person and prove you're a real person with your real name. That's okay. But um, anonymity on the internet is just the most horrible weaponization of, of arseholeness that, that you can get. It just it just empowers cowards, and I, I hate it. I really do. Yeah, at least if you're going to send um, a death threat and you put in a letter, at least you've actually went to put a bit of effort into that. <laughs> at least you put your return address on it so you can find out where the guy lives. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit more effort. Uh, yeah. I, uh, online, it's just yeah. I mean, I, just, I suppose it's just, everyone thinks uh, everyone just thinks their opinion is important, and I think we're all guilty of that. But uh, I don't. But, only, the th but the th thing is, though, Mark, though, if if people do genuinely believe that, put your real name. Then, if yeah. you think your opinion is important, don't hide behind a fake name. Have the courage of your convictions. I do. So you know, if I tweet something, if I tweet a joke, you know, 
you know, a pro, let's say a pro Celtic joke. I've got my name on it. I'm brave. I'll stand behind that. But then people come on. You can always tell it's the ones with the Union Jacks and their pictures, and just let loose the shite from behind a fake name. They don't have. They don't. They, they've got no right. If, you've got no right to have an opinion if you don't make it under your real name. Um, to, jo, uh, Martin, Windy Bank says, I love Games Master, best show in era of gaming. Dominic is a massive legend. Cool to see him on here. Thank uh, you, that's a, that's a legend as well. Martin's a, a great a great artist, photographer, musician, the full shebang as well. Mm-hmm. And he's using his real name. So <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, we're not slagging you guys for commenting. Feel free to comment. It's all, they're all right. This, this crew's all right. They're yeah. all right. Uh, Tam the Van says, I got into Halo when Xbox launched, but gave me my give my console to kids a few doors down who had very little and nothing and they said they wish they had one haven't gamed since so that's a lovely thing that you've done but it is I was going to get it because I was just thinking you know maybe I mean obviously I can't play football manager games because I've got too much on these days and I don't want to ruin my life but I was thinking about maybe just getting into a game and maybe trying something on Twitch is what would you say now that you've been kind of going back and through the games that you've missed out what was the one that you think that you've enjoyed the most you know there's it amazes me all the fantastic Wii games, like not Nintendo Wii, Wii as in little games out there. Oh, okay. <laughs> everybody knows, everybody knows, obviously, you know, your Grand Theft Autos, your Red Dead Redemptions, your Halos, your Last of Us, all the big games, everyone knows the ones that are good. But I played, there's lots of Wii great indie games, and I played one the other week, which was called, um, uh, 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 what was it called? Um, Come on, don't brain fart me now. Uh, a thingy boy in um, uh, commits tax evasion. What was it called? Hang on, I'm going to Google it. Just You Google it. You <laughs> Google it, it's fine. I'm going to... Uh, hang on. Uh, commit. I wrote about it in my column last week. Um, it's an animal thingy boy. Turnip. It's a vegetable, sorry. Turnip boy, that's it. Turnip boy commits tax evasion. And I was looking for <laughs> deliberately random games with weird titles. Um, and I was going to string them together to write a piece for The Guardian about them. And uh, you know that same thing about how you shouldn't judge a book by a cover? I thought, I'm just going to try and pick good games based on how daft the names are. So there's this one, Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion. And for people who like games, it's, it's kind of like the old Zelda games. But you are Turnip Boy, and he lives in, a, in a, 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 what he thinks is a vegetarian, a vegetable utopia. But he discovers a massive conspiracy because he commits tax evasion. And in trying to get off with it, he does jobs for the mayor. He finds that the mayor's corrupt. And there's this whole brilliant, like, political comment thing underneath this wee uh, game with this wonderfully childish graphics. So I thought that was really good. Um, And uh, there's another kind of independent game that was a massive success called Hades that I've been playing recently that is just the most fantastic. What they call, they call them rogue games uh, kind of rogue slash dungeon crawlers so Hades is good God of War I was playing for the column recently as well God of War is absolutely fantastic but I think if you if you're starting out look for the Wii independent games because there's so many of them and they don't cost a lot of money if you've got a PC you can get them on Steam or you know it's worth taking out a like an Xbox Ultimate Game Pass thing or a, or a PlayStation Now and, uh, subscription, and you get access to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these games. It's great. There's so much creativity on the in the Wii games, especially Wii Little, not Nintendo. We we yeah, no, it's Nintendo. We. I might do that. I've not got an Xbox or a PlayStation, anything, but I could. You said I'll just can I play Turnip Boy? Commits tax evasion on my PC. I'm sure you can on the PC. I'm sure it's on Steam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm in it. I'm going to do it. Uh, we've got 
Um, someone saying I've got had the ZX Spectrum Plus oh, Two. Yeah. That was my starting console. Yeah. Loved it. Same with me. Same with Joe. That was what, that. Where's so one of the comments? What was your first your first console? I think mine was a uh, an Atari ST. Oh, you were um, posh. I had Frogger, and I loved yeah. Frogger. And if I remember rightly, my mother stood on the, the cartridge with a high heel, <laughs> which is a, a kind of irony, a sweet irony. For Frog Up to Die It wasn't for me at the time I was absolutely gutted But um, Yeah but I had that Vaguely remember The Commodore 64 But I, I didn't have one I just remember Playing that At my friend's house Stuff like that There was a few good. There was that, I think that I had um, Was that the one with The Michael Jackson game With Moonwalker what, with Moonwalker Yeah I think Moonwalker yeah, that was the Commodore. I didn't actually have that game, but I yeah. think it was like, was that cassettes? Was that Spectrum? Was that what we're talking about? Spectrum's were cassettes, yeah. And so yeah. That, that was what we started off with, the ZX Spectrum. And that, it's funny you mentioned Frogger. So the first game that I ever played, because I went back and I played it on an emulator the other day, was called Horus Goes Skiing. And it was the sequel to a game called Hungry Horus. And basically, Hungry Horus just ripped off Pac-Man. It was just this bizarre lopsided character called Horus. And then Horus Goes Skiing basically ripped off Frogger. So it was such a simple, you had to go across the busy road to pick up your skis and then go back and then you skied down the wee mountain. And it was such a daft, simple wee game, but we loved it. And I, I actually, when I went back and played it on the emulator last week, it was still kind of quite fun. There was something about it. There was a little, there was a rhythm to it that I kind of quite liked. And um, and then Penetrator was uh, one of the most wonderfully named games ever. But uh, <laughs> that was a rip-off of Scramble, the great arcade game where you had your reach. Hey, there, there you go. There's Horace Good Skiing. Brilliant. That's Check it. out the graphics in Horace. <laughs> <laughs> no expense spared for Horace Good Skiing. Fantastic Sorry, stuff. Pen oh. Penetrator. You were talking about Penetrator. Yeah, Penetrator was like, a, uh, people might remember Scramble. That was an arcade game where you kind of... Um, flew over kind of mountain bits and dropped bombs and shot and there was like spaceships and all that coming up so that was a rip off of that penetrator that was good and then manic miner and jet set willy and all those games and then the funny you mentioned about your your football manager addiction so when a uh, football manager by kevin toms that was the first football manager game i ever played and that was on the zx spectrum and that was I mean, that was the first game that I literally would sit for hours and hours and hours playing it was incredible absolutely incredible yeah, I think that was a. I think the reason that was so addictive is because every other game I was playing, you're talking about FIFA. I was more into Pro Evolution Soccer. Yeah. Um, or ISS Pro. I know they, they branched off. Yeah. But I was more at that. But I played FIFA as well, obviously. But I suppose that eventually, when you're using that much stomach action, eventually you are going to get tired and stop playing it. But the football manager, you're like, right, before I go to my bed, I'm going to set my team just nice so that I remember who's in form and, and I wake up and my team's ready. But then your team's all there looking good and you're like, oh, I hit it one more yeah. game. We used to play, uh, it's funny, I did an interview um, uh, recently with Rick Henderson, who was one of our co-commentators on Games Master, and he reminded me that in the 90s we would play multiplayer football manager, well, championship manager back then. So we would sit, there'd be me, him and my mate Sir Andy, and we'd take three teams at once and we'd sit. And we'd got like seven hours. I mean, can you imagine how long that takes with three people changing their teams and and this is before transfer windows so this is when there's transfers all the time you'd play for seven hours and you'd get like two games maybe played a night and it would just go on for months and months and months but yeah multiplayer championship manager and we would have because we all smoked then and you would just get oh i'll never forget that was one aspect of gaming i'm glad to leave behind the overflowing ashtrays 
when you had a gaming session, they would pile them up and then you'd put one in and it wouldn't quite be out, the cigarette, and you'd end up setting this wee pyre on fire. And oh, I'll never forget that smell, Mark. It was absolutely horrible. I'm surprised I never burnt my house down. So who else we got here? This Commodore 64 was Tam's first one. Yeah. Um, we got uh, Joe Buchanan says she loved sticks on the Commodore 64. Sticks? I don't think I, I don't ever played that one. I don't know that one myself. Greg says uh, Sinclair is ZX81. Oh, that's ultra old school. That's before the Spectrum. That's when it was just black and white and literally just blocks. That was, yeah, that's hardcore. Uh, Manic Miner? Yeah, Manic Miner was absolutely incredible. Do you know what's, what's amazing, Mark, is that... So we, we started off this chat and I was talking about art and how, how I really missed that about, um, about Glasgow. See, when I look at ZX Spectrum games in particular now, and I look at not just necessarily the game shots, but the loading screens that came up when you had to wait for the tapes for the tape to load the game. Those I think are genuine, bona fide, beautiful works of art. We, <laughs> my brothers posted in the uh, in our family WhatsApp chat the other day. Well, there was two things they, they posted. First of all, someone playing Daily Thompson's Decathlon on the ZX Spectrum. It's about twenty minutes long, and we just sat and watched the whole thing. But then they also, one of my other brothers posted the jetpack loading screen. And it was literally just line by line of this picture coming up in the spectrum loading noise. Ah! But yet we all sat and watched it in 2022. You know, we've got 4K Ultra HD TVs, all the Netflix shows you could ever want. And there's three grown men between the ages of 40 and 52 sitting watching a ZX Spectrum loading screen on WhatsApp on a wee phone. But that's art. I think they should they should print out and frame and get the original guys to sign them. They'd be fantastic. An exhibition of all that stuff in art I'm form. I'm sure that someone's done some, some NFTs. So it's no one NFT oh, that stuff yet. Oh, you probably have, haven't they? Well, that's but Sega. That that's right, yes. So if you just did that in an NFT, I'm sure you would get millions for it. Yeah. And uh, I have no idea why you would spend millions on it, but no. it seems to be happening. Yeah. Mark Mundibank says, BBC Micro with Chucky Egg and Repton. Oh, Chucky Egg. The Commodore Amiga was my main jam. Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters. <laughs> I have even heard that. That is a great name. I'd watch that. There's a ton of that in a film and I'd watch it. Yeah, Chuck, Engine. Chuck, Chucky, oh, Chaos Engine. Chucky, okay, that was a great game. The, uh, but Chucky Egg, Chucky Egg, I think, was another one of my, my very early games on the ZX Spectrum. And what was really, really beautiful about Chucky Egg was it was one of these... Um, it was just a really simple game, but there was enough variety that you would keep going back and back and back. And it's really hard, really difficult to pull off. One of the reasons I like this this game, Hades, that I've been playing recently is that it's very simple dungeon crawler, kill everything and escape kind of game. But there's just there's enough variety in each room that you go into that you just it kind of keeps you going. And it's it's a it's a horrible cliche, but and it was actually. It was actually a board game that this phrase came from. There was an old game called Mastermind. I don't know if anyone remembers it. And it was all about white pegs. Uh, you had kind of like different colored pegs and you put them in and you covered them up and the other person had to guess what colored the pegs were. It was basically Wordle with colored pegs, right? And um, 
So they, they had the uh, they had the tagline for that. It says, it takes a minute to learn and a lifetime to master. And I've always remembered that phrase, and that defines the best game. One that you can pick up and play immediately, but will keep rewarding you the longer and longer you play. That's the holy grail. That's the absolute thing that you're looking for in, in, in a game. And also, and music as well. It's the same thing. You know, the great music is you, you hear it on that first play, and you're like, that's great. But you hear it, you know, like Pink Floyd, you hear it a million times, and you'll still get different things out of it, you know? Absolutely, and that's that's probably what, that's one of the issues with the the death of the album, really. But I mean, there's still yeah. great albums getting made, but we're all just picking our favourite songs, or we're getting a playlist or whatever. Yeah, and, and that, that's it used to be the, the singles. The singles would get you, and you know, the single that you yeah. I mean, you mentioned some bands earlier on, like The View or or um, Las Vegas or whatever, and you know, it'd be the single that would they would get you in, and then but after you spent fifteen pound on a CD. You'd make sure they listen to it all, and you would always it would always be your favorite track. Would be the track eight, or like just an album track yeah. that that hadn't been overplayed or had the same amount of exposure. Yeah. James oh. Pond says Christopher. Oh yeah, the cheat code. That was made. an Amiga classic. Yeah, and Wait, I, I was I, I was lucky. Sorry. The um, I was very lucky that when I started doing radio in Nova Scotia, uh, I've worked mostly. I've done some new, couple of new music radio stations, but mostly I've done classic rock. Uh, that's been my genre here in Canada uh, because I think that you have an inherent credibility as a you know as a British guy on the radio here when you're doing classic rock because it's all about the British bands and everything. So I, I started off doing a show and it was the classic album Countdown and it was a fantastic show for just really getting into your your kind of music history and they the, the, would pick a year. Um, so if it was the 24th of November, they say 24th of November, 1972. And you would do the album countdown of the top 40 albums of that day. And, you know, it'd be like a four hour show and you'd play a track from each album and it would be all stuff, you know, it'd be like Jethro Tull and Black Sabbath and Zeppelin and, and Supertramp and all that stuff. And it was an incredible uh, time for me because I only did the show Saturday and Sunday, but I would spend the five days, Monday to Friday, uh, I was uh, I was doing a lot of running uh, so I would run and I would just have all these great classic rock albums uh, in my ears. And, and to your point, Mark, you know, I would know the big songs from the classic rock era, but I'd never, because I was just a bit too young, I'd never delved into the depth of the albums. And it's just absolutely incredible. And you're right, it's a, it's, it's a real shame that we've we've lost the album. Really. I was just, Greta Van Fleet, I was listening to recently, and... Um, uh, I'd, I'd heard their kind of big tunes on the radio here, especially on classic rock, because they're a real classic rock sounding band. But only recently I actually listened to their albums and just phenomenal depth that people just don't get these days. It's a it's a real shame. Apart from my my kids, well, well my youngest kid, my youngest daughter, she's like singing, dancing, goes to performing arts high school. She's got into vinyl. So she's different. She uh, she has gone back to albums. And so she'll sit there and she's got all, my wife's got like every Bowie album uh, on vinyl. So she sits there and she's getting into hunky dory and stuff like that. So I think the, the, the kids, vinyl's what's going to save the album, you know, for, for the, these, these kids now. It seems to be the case and a long may it continue. Yeah. Although, the, the, although we do need some more vinyl print companies and in, in the UK, or preferably UK cause of Brexit, cause um, the cost is going through the roof and oh, all the, yeah. all the big artists are all, bringing out limited edition things, so you need to wait about eight months to get your vinyl printed these days. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, shout-outs to the Grito Von Fleto. And, um, do, um, oh, yes, yeah, so, and that is, CJ's right with that, is up, down, left, right, ABC, start, I believe that is Sonic the Hedgehog. That's the Sonic Maybe. the Hedgehog one, yeah. Yeah, yep, that was that it. Is. 
Um, Joe, is this, is this, would you agree with this? The old retro games are much harder to play than modern games. True or false? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Because with the games today, you'll have like energy bars and you'll have like 20 hits before you actually lose your life and then you can pick up power-ups. But again, when I when I was having my little go on Old Spectrum games the other day and I, and I played Manic Miner and holy shit, three lives, three hits, three lives, that's it, you're out. And that is a not, that's, you know, you get to four or five levels and have to go all the way back to the start again. That is, uh, that is something that is, we're really spoiled what I'm interested about your your take on is uh, so I was watching Addictions uh, with uh, Darren McGarvey who's actually got him on the show this week at some point oh Loki yeah yeah yeah, yeah you know Loki so he's been on the show loads of times a friend yeah. of ours but he's um, so he, he there was a little point where there was, there was a guy talking about FIFA cards or something like that yeah so like so it seems like that more and more games I mean I noticed it initially on mobile phone games but I hear a lot of parents complaining about it that their kids are like, like power ups. You can pay for power ups. You can play yeah. for custom things. Yeah. So I mean, does this mean like that the best players are just people that are spending more money? Yes. Yes. I mean, that, and that, that's unfortunate. That's it. They, they call it uh, pay to win. That's basically the model for a lot of games, like FIFA, and certainly like mobile phone games. And and I know exactly what he means. It's not. Um, but what's weird? The what was more insidious about FIFA was it's. Um, it's not necessarily about finding the player that's going to make your team better. It's just the actual act of opening the packs and, and in other games, loot boxes, which is basically is scratch cards. It's fucking scratch cards. So you're getting, you know, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids that are gambling. And it is gambling because it's costing the money to do it. And that's abhorrent. That's so wrong. And uh, I thought it would have been stamped out by now. But it's difficult when you're looking at a company like Electronic Arts that's one of the most powerful multimedia companies in the world. It's it's very difficult to get that to get that level of change and bigger than Hollywood. Yeah, or yep. Uh, as well, which was quite I was quite surprised to hear about as well. But yeah, they're all these companies are bigger yep. than uh, the yeah the movies, the movie business. So yep. uh, it's cr it's crazy, man. We we'll have to say in, in in defense of in defense of a lot of mobile game companies that we've had a couple of times. One time in particular, when my son Charlie, he's a uh, he's he's eighteen in a couple of weeks, but uh, but way back when we were in Toronto, so he's been about eleven or twelve. And there was, oh, what was it called? There was They call them the infinite running games on the mobile phones. You're kind of running down tracks and jumping over stuff. And, and my wife was at, was waiting at the dentist with him and she'd given him his phone. And he basically just sat there and, and just kept buying and buying and buying all these extra coins for it. And he ran up, it was like $1,100 in like, a, a, you know, the 30 minutes that we're waiting in the dentist. But... Uh, my wife, you know, called up, they went and got in touch with the company and they just refunded it like that. So I think that they're they're not so bad, these nightmare stories you hear about kids getting hold of their parents' credit cards and everything like that. I think there is, a lot of these companies aren't as bad as you'd think, that they are quite good about, you know, returning that money if it is those genuine kind of mistakes that we kids make. Well, apparently Disney, I've, I'm just hearing from Raymond, Disney stepped in and stopped EA Games using paid loot create in their Star Wars games good um, cool. and uh, Christopher says um, Fortnite my Wayne's oh. want to spend and have spent a fortune on that shitty game oh, it's starting yeah. gambling but as, I mean we're not, it's not exaggerating because you're getting the dopamine rush you're totally. getting a, a win yeah. so yeah, yeah it is it's, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's dangerous but, so before, before we go man I was wanting to get back to the book because obviously you're um, 
you, you, what was it like trying to create the book? So we've got the Games Master book, and I know that you're also doing a book on and your adventures in Nova Scotia. So obviously, you've been, you know, you're an experienced writer, especially from mm. the, the columnist point of view. And in fact, even going right back to being a stand-up comic, there's, there's, you're doing writing there as well. So how much more discipline? How much more difficult was it to to go into making a novel? That's a good, you know, that's, that's a great question, Mark, because. I never, I was never one of these people who uh, woke up in the morning and felt a need to write. Um, I've got uh, my sister-in-law in Toronto, right? She was a lawyer. She had a big job, but she would write every day because that was her passion. And, and so she wrote novels and I never could. I would, uh, I could never do long form. And so whenever I did write, I wrote a couple of video game books back in the day. Uh, but again, that was just, you know, they were quite easy. I wrote, so I wrote Celtic and Me, my the kind of first volume of my kind of, um, like a biography and I did that because we ran out of money um, and so I needed to get that written otherwise we'd have starved but I never had that thing uh, about being able to write long form I tried it a couple of times couldn't do it until we wrote Games Master the Oral History and so and it's all down to this guy Jack Templeton who was the original Games Master super fan he was the first guy to have a website devoted to Games Master and we kept in touch over the years and we, we became pals and so he was the editor. It was his idea to do this book. And what was brilliant about him was when I started writing it, and it's basically a combination of all the stories from like about 100 people who were involved in the show in different capacities, but also this, my story of, of going from an absolute, you know, complete unknown to not just kind of fronting a big TV show, but also the de facto head of this massive industry and what it did to me, and it absolutely it drove me mad. And I, you know, I did a lot of partying and got into drugs and everything, and it, and it just absolutely screwed up my life. So I kept kind of writing all this funny stuff for the book, and Jack kept pinging it back to me, saying, "No, no, I want you to go deeper and deeper. Just don't make this about knob gags. I want to know what did it feel like." So the more he pushed me, the deeper I got, and the more I loved actually writing it. And I'd never felt like that before. So. When I finished the book, I'm like, okay, I now want to try and write a novel finally. So, yeah, so it was a, a comedy crime book based on my life in Nova Scotia, which is just, Nova Scotia is one that people always say, oh, you know, do you think I should move to Canada? Yes, and if you do, move to Nova Scotia. It's a magical, magical place of incredible characters. So I wrote this, and I wrote it kind of quite quickly, and I really loved it. And so, that, um, so that's got me a literary agent in London. He's trying to sell that just now. And uh, and I'm about to start on another book. I probably should wait and see if I can sell this one first. Um, but um, but it's it's all I want to do now. And, and I was lucky that this writing thing coincided with you know with me. You know, I had this payoff from radio, so I didn't have to work. I had a wee bit of time, and then it made me realise that I actually I want to write full time. I want to sit in a wee room and play with words all day because I just I love it now. And and so through the book and through the Guardian column and and through the Substack thing, it's just like. I just I wake up every day and I've just got a million words inside and I just I want to get them out and I love that I find it really I never thought that I would find sitting in a wee room on my own typing um, and making shit up I never never thought it would be so exciting I've always been a guy Mark I like working in radio stations I like doing um, breakfast shows I like being in a room with really funny people um, so it's weird to think that now I would like just sitting on my own <laughs> typing away you know. 
It's brilliant, and I think it's it's great that you're doing the Substack thing as well because it is just it's, it means you've got a, a it's a weekly Substack thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, every Thursday we, I bring a new one out every Thursday six thirty p.m., which is the time that Games Master used to come out. So, uh, so yeah, and there's a so there's a there's a free version and there's a there's a paid version. The free version, I said that the free version was going to be seven hundred and fifty to a thousand words, and the paid version was going to be two to two and a half thousand. The way it's worked out, the free version's over a thousand, the paid version's four thousand. Because again, I'm just I've got so much stuff in me. So yeah, so that comes out every Thursday six thirty, written and kind of podcast podcast form. And as for the the, the DJ stuff, how cause you haven't lost your accent, and that's despite living in London and living in Canada for so long. Do, do you have to tone down your accent at all when you're when you're on Canada radio? It's, do you know what? It's weird because I I am um, I know that that has been problematic for some people. There is a um, I, I think the more conservative radio bosses just won't give you a job if you've got a Scottish accent. And I know that I've, I've recently, actually, there was a couple of jobs, um, about a year ago, big jobs that I was up for. And I was told that, no, the reason that they I didn't get them was they didn't want non-Canadian accents on the radio. But it, it kind of worked, it works the other way as well, that I was very lucky. So, I, you know, when I started off at the s- smallest radio station in Canada, I only got that job because the boss there was a big BBC radio fan. And then the only reason I got the job in Toronto was, again, the boss there was a big um, British sitcom fan and and everything. And then once you start going on air in Canada, you realise half of Canada are directly Scottish and the other half wish they were. So they love Scotland. So actually, I think over in terms of listeners, it's brilliant because they love the accent. They love Scotland. There's a great affinity between Scotland and Canada. We're both countries that have these larger countries below us <laughs> that you know we have a very complicated relationship with and we very much we sometimes feel the slightly inferior cousin of the country below us. so there's a lot of aff- affinity so i think with concern with boring radio bosses it's it, it's it doesn't help but with listeners your average guy in the street helps all the time definitely Absolutely brilliant. I was just listening to, for anyone else um, who wants to hear a bit more, Dominic Diamond, I recommend the Richard, Richard Herring podcast. I just listened to that while yeah. I was doing my shopping. That was great. That was, was a great chat. Absolute legend. And um, you can actually see a young Richard Herring and a young Stuart Lee on Game Master Games on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just watched, that was the one, that was the episode I was watching on YouTube. Yeah. So I was, it was good to sort of hear a bit of background of that. Uh, but man, that's the way Thank you very much, mate, for, for coming on today. Uh, this My is the pleasure. link to the Go and Get the Games Master book here and um, the weekly podcast Substack thing. Um, I'll put the link to both in the comments. So thank you very much, mate. Uh, we've thank got, we, I know it says on YouTube that, that Loki's on the show tomorrow. He's not. That's been rescheduled again. But we will have Larry Love from Alabama 3 on later on in the week. Great band. Uh, absolute legend. And um, amazingly, thank you very much and um, good luck with, with the new book and I hope to speak to you soon, mate. Thanks a lot, Mark. This has been great fun. Great, great questions. Really good. Really enjoyed it. Okay, thanks, mate. Mark. And thanks to all the audience as well for the questions. That's great. Amazing, mate. Thank you for everyone for leaving comments. Sorry if I didn't read out all your questions. We will see you soon. Bye. Yeah. Not respecting every aspect of my leg. Mark. The love of the man I talk on the radio. Case in the middle. You call that radio, radio, call that radio, 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 you call that radio, radio.
Call that the radio, radio. Come and say, in a mini, my name, I'll just go with the flow. In a mini, my name, I'll just go with the flow. Till you miss a mark, now go bend down low. Till you miss a mark, now go bend down low. Boom! Come and disrespect, all over respect in every aspect. 